the theme of where we're going today. Psalm 139, we're going to start in verse 7, and we'll read down through verse 12. So you follow along silently as I read aloud uh, this morning. Verse 7 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, well, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to look into your word and to study it. And Lord, as the ladies sang a, a few minutes ago, Lord, knowing you, Lord, I pray that that would take place today. Lord, that we would know you more as a result of our time in your word this morning. Lord, that you would uh, not just put knowledge in our hearts and in our minds, but may that knowledge impact the way we live. Lord, may these thoughts come into our minds quickly when we're faced with difficulty, when we're faced with temptation. Lord, I pray that we would understand who you are and you have some amazing attributes. And Lord, thank you for the privilege of studying it and talking about it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A couple weeks ago, we started a, a new series called How Great Thou Art, a study of the attributes, the amazing attributes of our great God. And today we're going to be hitting on the omnipresence of God. How many of you, and, and my hand would be lifted on this one, how many of you have ever wanted to be in two places at once? Would you raise your hand? Yes. Uh, many, many times. Uh, maybe, maybe you have even, has anybody here ever been to the Four Corners? Okay, a few of you have been there. Uh, where you can have one foot in Colorado, one foot in New Mexico, one hand in Utah, and the other hand in Arizona. So you can be in four states at once. Well, what we're going to focus on this morning is the omnipresence of God, the fact that God is in every place at the same time. The word omnipresent is composed, of course, of two words. Omni, which means all. And present, which indicates that God is everywhere. He is all present. He is everywhere, all at the same time. Well, a man offered a little boy who was returning from a Sunday school class. He said, I, I will offer you a dollar if you show me where God is. The little boy responded, Mister, I'll give you a dollar if you show me where God ain't. <laughs> you see, God really is everywhere. And that leads me to the first thought this morning as we study, we begin the study on the omnipresence of God, which is an amazing attribute of Him. Number one, the reality of His omnipresence. It is a reality, it is a truth that we need to understand. And I'm praying and, and, and hoping that we will get this truth in our minds and in our hearts, that when we're facing difficulties, this truth about God will come into our minds. And we will think about the fact that He is there. So A.W. Tozer, in his book on the attributes of God, says this about the omnipresence of God. 
as he ex- tries to explain it, which, by the way, is a very difficult topic. This is a very difficult series to preach because how can I, who have very, I'm a very finite being, uh, understand the infinite attributes of an infinite God? Because each of these are infinite. Pretty amazing. And it's hard to really wrap our little weak minds around these things, but we try to uh, get what God says about him from his word and try to understand as best we can these thoughts. But here, A.W. Tozer tries to explain it, and here's what he says. Uh, God is equally near to all parts of his universe. We think rightly about God and spiritual things only when we rule out the concept of space altogether. God, being infinite, does not dwell in space. He swallows up all space. Jeremiah 23, 24, uh, Tozer quotes here. He says, Do not I fill heaven and earth? And that sounds as if God were contained in heaven and earth. But actually, God fills heaven and earth just as the ocean fills a bucket which had been submerged in it a mile down. The bucket is full of the ocean, but the ocean surrounds the bucket and in all directions. So when God says he fills heaven and earth, he does. But heaven and earth are submerged in God and all space is as well. The heaven, and heaven, the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. According to 2 Chronicles 2.6, God is not contained. God contains that's kind of deep theological thinking, and so I'll ask you to put that your thinking cap on this morning. I realize it's a Sunday. I realize it's a day of rest, but we'll have to do a little spiritual theological thinking this morning as we discuss the omnipresence of God. You know, Solomon prayed as he dedicated the majestic temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27. He said this, as he was praying at the dedication, he said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built. See, even Solomon recognized that this beautiful temple made that was unmatched in history before or since could not contain God. And uh, the heaven of heavens can't contain him. How much less this house? Jeremiah 23, verse 23 says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? In other words, the God is so near because he's right here. He's in this room. And he's also in, you know, Czechoslovakia right now. He's also on, his presence is there on planet Pluto. You see, this attribute, though, I want to make a note, is unique to God. It is one of his incommunicable attributes, which means that it's, it cannot be passed down to man. It's not something that he shares with anyone else. You see, God is the only one to possess this attribute of omnipresent. Now, maybe you've, you know, there's, there's someone that kind of maybe annoys you at work. And it seems like they're always around when you don't want them to be around. They're not always around, though, right? God is always around, though. Satan, as powerful as he is, he does not possess the attribute of omnipresence. 
He can only be one place at a time, and for that, I'm thankful. <laughs> By the way, I'm looking forward to the day when he will spend all of the rest of his eternity in the lake of fire and brimstone, and he'll be tormented forever and ever. I'm looking forward to that's where he'll, uh, he will spend all of his days in that place, and he will only be able to be in one place at a time, and that's where he'll spend eternity, and I'm thankful for that. So Satan is not omnipresent. And also, by the way, once we are in our glorified state, we will still not be omnipresent. And uh, sadly, we've even taken this precious and unique attribute of, of our great and holy God and given it to a fictional character named Santa Claus. You remember the song, He Sees You When You're Sleeping? He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Well, what about the elf on the shelf <laughs> that we place around really weird places around the house? Yeah, I don't want to be a Scrooge, and I'm glad I'm preaching this in February and not December. <laughs> but do you really think it's healthy to teach our children that someone other than God is omnipresent? Now, I realize it's a fun game we play with our children. But is it really fun when they find out that Santa Claus isn't real? And then they wonder, well, God has that same attribute. Is he real too? Or is he just a big fun game? See, God is not a fun game. He's real and he does indeed possess this attribute. So let's be careful how we teach our children. Let's make sure we're teaching them biblical truth. And not getting caught up in culture. God the Father possesses this attribute. He is everywhere all at the same time. Do you remember when his son Jesus Christ came as Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. Aren't you glad that God came to dwell among us? He became flesh and dwelt among us. Believe it or not it gets better though. You see, shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Great Comforter, and he began indwelling believers. So Jesus was God with us, and the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord, is God in us. Isn't that amazing? That God would want to be in you and in me? I mean, I know me, and sometimes I don't want to be in me. You know what I mean? And yet the Lord wants to be in me, and I'm thankful that he does. Sightings of uh, religious icons are rampant in today's headlines. Whether it's the face of Jesus on a Walmart receipt, the cross of Christ in a cut potato, or Mother Teresa's visage in a cinnamon bun, people are seeing spiritual images everywhere. You might have even scratched your head in wonderment when a Ten-year-old cheese sandwich sold at an auction in 2004 for a cool $28,000 simply because people thought they saw the face of the Virgin Mary in the folds of the stale food. Someone has commented, these point to a yearning in our culture to find Christ in everyday ordinary things. They went on to quote Dan French of The Examiner who said, We're all looking for the same thing, some faith-worthy sign to give us at least a fleeting clue on how to live our best lives and be our best selves 
in a confused, nearly unnavigable world. You know, the God who created the universe doesn't want to stay distant or far off. The truth is, you don't need to search for God in your grilled cheese sandwich or on your Walmart receipt. God is everywhere. He wants to be part of your everyday life. And when God is in your life, even the ordinary becomes sacred. You only need to open your eyes to see Him. Remember what Jesus said in His Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When our hearts are pure, we're able to see God at work in our lives. Yesterday here in Oklahoma, it was windy. Did you see the wind? The answer is no. But did you see the effects of wind? Yes. I had hair yesterday morning, and I don't know what happened, but it's gone today. (laughs) But I saw the effects of that wind, and so did you. And when your hearts are right with God, then you can see God at work in your life, and you don't have to find Him in the clouds. Hey, doesn't that look like the face of Jesus? Look. Isn't that a sign from God? You can see him on every aspect of your life when your heart is right with him. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in his famous sermon on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. He said that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and Have our being, Paul said. He is not far from every one of us. Let's look back at our text this morning and see what this passage teaches us about the omnipresence of our great God. Verse number 7, David said, Whither shall I flee from my spirit? Whither shall I flee from my presence? He said, There's really nowhere I can go. I cannot hide. And then in verse number 8, he mentions that he he is there despite death. Verse, verse number eight, he says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Now, the word hell there isn't a reference to the lake of fire that we think of. Uh, that, that word hell is more of a grave connotation. So even in the grave, he's there. If I'm in heaven, he's there. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, Paul said in Romans chapter number eight, this very famous passage of scripture as he concludes this chapter, this beautiful chapter. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So he is there despite death. You say, well, death is going to end the presence of the Lord. No, it's not. Presence continues on. His presence is not contained in time or space. We are, but not God. God is bigger than all of that. So he is there despite death. He's also there despite distance. Look in verse number 9. David said, Well, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. You see, there's nowhere on this earth that you can go where God is not. And so you say, well, well, cool, I don't have to go to church then because God is going to be on my fishing boat on the lake. (laughs) 
so I can just have church there. Uh, let's not take that out of context. But God is everywhere. Um, even the most remote place on this earth that you think no one has ever stepped foot, God is there too. It was astronaut James McDivitt who orbited the earth 62 times. And here's what he said. He said, I didn't, I didn't see God looking into my space cabin window as I do not see God looking into my car's windshield on earth. But I could recognize his work in the stars as well as when walking among flowers in a garden. If you can be with God on earth, you can be with God in space. So God is here at Cornerstone Baptist Church this morning. But he'll be with you at home. He'll be with you at work this week. He'll be with you no matter where you and I go. He is there despite distance. And then he's also there despite darkness. Verse number 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. but The darkness shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike. To thee, you know, darkness is usually associated with sin and evil in the Bible. Most crimes are committed in the late hours before dawn. My mother-in-law gave my wife some great words of wisdom when she was younger. She used to tell my wife, she would say to Julie, nothing good ever happens after 10 p.m. And uh, that's that's some good, good words of wisdom, isn't it, for a young person? But if you think about it, a lot of murders do take place when it's dark. Darkness has a way of fooling people to think that no one sees. I'm telling you, God is not bound by darkness and light. It's not like, well, someone needs to turn the light on so I can see what they're doing down there. Hey, Google, turn on the light. God doesn't have to do that. You see, the darkness... His eyes are not, are able to see right past it. It doesn't stop them. And so he's there despite death. He is there despite distance. He is there despite darkness. And so we see the reality or the, the truth of God's omnipresence, not just in our lives, but whether we're here or not, he is everywhere. But that leads me to number two, the response to God's omnipresence. What kind of response should I have to the truth of his omnipresence? Okay, we know biblically that he is everywhere, all at the same time. So what kind of response should I have? First of all, I would say, this is a good one, a response of comfort. That should lead me to a comforting thought that God is there in the good times and in the difficult times and every other time in between. I read this verse last week. I spoke from Psalm 23 last Sunday morning, if you recall. But verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And the reason for my lack of fear in that moment is because of his presence. It says, For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So as I go through difficult times, when I'm, when I'm walking through the, uh, the pastures, of the, the green pastures and the lying behind, beside the still waters and in those valleys of the shadow of death, I'm going to not fear any evil because he's with me. His presence is a comfort in my life. 
Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus gives some great comfort, a great challenge, and then some comfort to the disciples and to all of us, by the way. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he says, And by the way, I want to leave you with this thought. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He says, I'm giving you a great commission, but, but there's a great comfort that goes along with that commission. I'm thankful for that. We have a missionary family with us this morning, the Stensis family, and most of you probably got a chance to say hi to them, but if you didn't, please do so. They came just to be, just to be here, and I'm thankful they did. But they're in Uganda, and they're trying to take the gospel and, and, and fulfill Matthew 28, 19, and 20. But as you're there in Uganda, aren't you glad that he's with you and that you're not by yourself? And I know sometimes it can get lonely out there in a foreign country, away from family, away from friends, away from the conveniences that we have here in America. But the greatest comfort of all is knowing that the Lord is there with you. Hebrews 13 and verse number 5 The writer of Hebrews says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He promises his presence in our life. And that ought to be a great comfort to you and to I. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, Be strong of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. Why? Why shouldn't we be afraid of them? The rest of the verse says, For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. You see, the Lord is going to be with you. His presence acts as a comforting agent in my life. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. There are so many verses I could have read this morning that deal with this. But time won't allow me. You won't allow me. I know that. (laughs) You're going to run out and go to the restaurants without me. But Isaiah 41 and verse 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. John 14 and verse 16. Here Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Aren't you glad for that? And then Revelation 21 and verse 3, here's how it all ends. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Let the word of God in these verses comfort you today, mentioning the presence of the Lord in your life. So as you go and face a difficult thing this week, which some of you probably will, think, hey, God, I don't have to face this alone. You're right here with me. And you're going to see me through, and I don't have to fear. I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry because you're right here. You and me equals the majority. We can get through this. Maybe you go through a wonderful time this week. Maybe you get some wonderful news. Celebrate it with him because he's right there with you. 
So we ought to have a response, should propel us to have a response of comfort, but it also should propel us, secondly, to have a response of constraint. This thought should constrain us a little bit. This, this thought should cause us to think a little bit before we act. Jeremiah 23 and 20, verse 24 says, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, Do not I fill heaven and earth? Saith the Lord. Hebrews 4 and verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, he sees everything because he is in every place. Kim Arlington with the Sydney Morning Herald reports this in, in, her, in her report. Neil Jordan likes to get inside an animal's mind when he's working to save a species. Take lions, for example. Lions are ambush predators. They rely on stealth and the element of surprise in order to bring down their prey, he said. As soon as they lose that element of surprise, as soon as the prey sees them, they abandon their their hunt. That is why he and fellow researchers are going to Botswana to paint eyes on the backside of cows. They're going to actually paint eyes on the backsides of cows. They hope it will prove a low-cost way to protect livestock from lions and lions from being killed by farmers in retaliation. Dr. Jordan, who holds a research post at uh, this place, said this, we want to hijack this natural response by painting eyes on the rumps of cows. So the lions could be tricked into thinking they'd been seen, and as a result, they would abandon the hunt. It's the same kind of psychological trickery employed by woodcutters in India who ward off tigers by wearing face masks on the back of their heads and butterflies that avoid becoming bird food thanks to eye-like patterns on their wings that actually God put there. So just as being watched affects the actions of lions, it does the same for people. Do you remember when you were doing something you maybe shouldn't have been doing in your room and mom comes in and you just kind of like try to, you know, hide whatever you were doing? And do you remember those days? Can I encourage us and remind us that God is watching us? Every action, every thought, every motive of the heart is laid bare before him. How does that knowledge affect you? Would it help you to paint eyes on your computer screen? Reminding you that God is watching every website that you surf? Should we put those on our phone screens, on our tablet screens? Reminding us that God sees everything that we... And by the way, if you're a believer, your eyes don't belong to you anymore. Your eyes belong to Him. And he's there and he sees everything that you see. He says everything. He, he knows everything that you say. Proverbs 15 and verse 5. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Beholding the evil and the good.
2 Corinthians 2 and verse 17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, and here it is, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Paul said, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. See, Paul understood that he was always in line of sight with God. As parents, we were always trying to have our kids in, in line of sight, you know. When you go to an amusement park, line of sight, I want to see my kids. I want to make sure that they're okay and, and uh, they're, I can see where they're at. Well, you're never out of line of sight with God. You say, well, it's really dark and no one else sees. Yeah, but God does. And most sin doesn't happen in, in public. It happens in private when, when we think no one else sees, and yet God does. Lord, help this truth to be a constraining truth in my life, to keep me on the right path and to keep me from going into sin. And we can't talk about this with remembering the fact that you cannot escape the presence of God. No can do, friend. Try as you might, can't be done. Adam tried. Genesis chapter number three. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day just after they sinned. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Oh, did he really? Oh, poor God. He didn't. He lost his creation. What's he going to do now? I created man, gave him a wife, and now they've sinned. Now I've lost them. Oh, no. God's in trouble. No, he's not. He knew exactly where they were the entire time. Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? wasn't because God didn't know where Adam was. It's because Adam didn't know where Adam was. He said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Look, you cannot escape the presence of God. You cannot hide from God. Try as you might. It's impossible. Jonah also tried. Jonah 1, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It says twice in that passage that he tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. And for those who are a little bit even familiar with the story of Jonah, it was evident that the Lord was there in the ship as well as he would have been in Nineveh had he obeyed right away. He prepared this great fish and we know the story, and it's a pretty graphic story that the teens love hearing about. There's a regurgitation going on, and it's just a fun story to talk about. <laughs> but all of it to prove that Jonah, try as you might, you can't hide from God. And he realized that God was right there in the belly of that whale as he began to pray unto the Lord. You say, why would the Lord be there? Well, because he's everywhere. <laughs> now, in most of the United States, there's a policy of checking on any stalled vehicle on the highway when temperatures drop to single digits or below. Well, about 3 a.m. one, one uh, very cold morning, Montana State Trooper Alan Nixon responded to a call about a car that was off the shoulder of the road just outside of Great Falls, Montana. And uh, we have the Krantz family back there who used to live in Great Falls. So they, and we lived about an hour south of Great Falls. Did you guys go to Great Falls when you were up in there, up in Montana? Um, okay, well, this story took place just outside of Great Falls. 
Well, he located the car. It was stuck in deep snow, but with the engine still running. Well, pulling in behind the car with his emergency lights on, the trooper walked to the driver's door to find an older man passed out behind the wheel with a nearly empty vodka bottle on the seat beside him. Well, the driver woke up when the trooper tapped on the window, seeing the rotating lights in his rearview mirror and the state trooper standing next to his car. The man panicked. So he jerked the gear shift into drive and hit the gas. The the car's speedometer was showing 20, 30, 40, and then 50 miles an hour, but it was still stuck in the snow. Wheels spinning. Well, the trooper, having a sense of humor, began running in place next to the speeding but stationary car. (laughs) The driver totally freaked out, thinking the trooper was actually keeping up with him. (laughs) This went on for another 30 seconds before the trooper yelled, Pull over! (laughs) So the man nodded, turned his wheel, and stopped the engine. Needless to say, the man from North Dakota was arrested and is probably still shaking his head over over the state trooper in Montana who could run 50 miles per hour. (laughs) You can't outrun God. You can't hide from God. You can't flee from the presence of the Lord. Try as you might, it's impossible. Let this be a constraining truth in your life that you will think about his presence when you're tempted to sin. When temptation is faced before you and you think, oh, cool, no one's around. No one will know. Yes, someone will know. And he is the holy God, the one who created you, the one who loved you, the one who gave his son for you. So let's remember his omnipresence. As we close this morning, I want to give a theological caveat to the doctrine of God's omnipresence. I'd like to ask this question. What about hell? Is God there? The Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 9, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So does that mean that God is there or not? The answer is yes and no. You see, God is present there. He is everywhere, including hell, but the presence there is not the kind of presence I want to be around. You know, have you ever been if you were to take a, a judge and you were to take him out of that courtroom and take him into a birthday party for his seven-year-old daughter, well, his presence would be a lot different in that room than his presence would be in the courtroom with a convicted felon. He wouldn't be, hey, this is so much fun. Oh, this is great. It would be a different presence, am I right? Same thing is true with God. You see, in that place is different, or I'm sorry, in that place his presence is different from his presence in heaven. 
If you compare Psalm, 1, Psalm 16, verse 11, which says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. If you compare that with the account of the rich man who went to hell in Luke 16, where it says that he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You see, there's a different presence there. It's God still, yes. But the presence is a little different. Which presence for your eternity do you want? Do you want the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? Or do you want to be calling out for someone to just simply put their finger in water and touch the tip of your tongue because that will at least give you a momentary, temporary relief. What kind of presence of God do you want to have? I'll tell you the type of presence God wants you to have. He wants you to have the fullness of joy. He wants you to have pleasures forevermore because He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and spend eternity with Him. That's God's plan. God's plan is that you and I would all go to heaven. Will all of us go to heaven? All of us in this entire world, it depends on our choice, whether we choose to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved or not. So for you, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, I want to invite you to do so today. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. John said in John 1 and verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. I want to invite you to believe on His name. He is the omnipresent God who sent His, His Son to this earth to die for you, rose again the third day to offer us eternal life. He's offering it to you today. Will you take it? Will you take Him? Will you believe on Him?